All right. Well, good morning, y'all. We are in week number three of this series, Sex in a Broken World. And again, it is PG-13, so if you feel like you need to flee the room, you can do that, all right? Uh, But we are doing this series called Sex in a Broken World. It is based off of this book of the same name by a gentleman named Paul David Tripp. Again, I want to recommend this book to you. Anything good that comes out of the series is, first of all, from the Word of God, second of all, from this guy, all right? And anything left over may be be me, okay? Um, But an incredible book, an incredible resource. And the reason we're doing this is because this is a subject that the world and our culture is constantly talking about, okay? It's everywhere and everything you see, the subject is being brought up. But not only that, God himself speaks about this subject quite frequently. In fact, he is the one who created human sexuality. And so if the world and our culture is talking about it, if our God is talking about it, we ought to be talking about it as the church. Amen? And that's what we're doing in this series. And I know there's a timid like, eh, amen? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. I don't care. We're doing it anyway. So the line is this, that your sexual life is shaped by who or what you worship. Your sexual life, my sexual life, is shaped by who or what we worship. In other words, this idea of human sexuality, it's not just about things that go on in our mind, and it's not just about things that we do with our bodies, but it is, in fact, a spiritual matter, okay? Everything is, is, is spiritual. Everything is spiritual, and therefore, sex is spiritual. Sex, sex is what I would say is an act of worship, And that is the title of this sermon this morning, is Sex as Worship. And this kind of touches on the things that we've talked about the last couple weeks. But sex as worship is either we're worshiping God, or we're we're worshiping in a vertical sense, or we're worshiping in a horizontal sense. We're worshiping the creator or the creation. And what happens is when we worship in 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 this area of human sexuality, when we worship Anything other than God, what happens is we begin to worship ourselves and what Paul Tripp calls uh, the individualization of sex. In other words, it becomes very individualistic. In other words, it becomes all about me. It is for me. It's about me. It's for my pleasure. It is according to my plan and my timetable. It's what in our world at large deals with this subject of sexuality. It becomes very individualized, okay? And so today we're talking about sex as worship. This, this, we're going to see a passage today in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul speaks very directly to what it means to approach our sexuality as a worshiper of God. In other words, if sex is about worship, then what do I need to know and what do I need to do? Okay, so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 12 through 20. You can begin to turn there or flip in your app to 1 Corinthians 6.20, um, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 20. It says this. Paul says, and again, he's writing to this Corinthian church, this group of people where sexual immorality is running rampant, and it's in the context of this that he writes 1 Corinthians 6, this letter. He says, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 
Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through four what I would call sex as worship principles, okay? Four principles around this matter of sex as worship, okay? Here's principle number one. It's the principle of mastery, the principle of mastery. And I want to look back at verses 12 and 13 and what Paul says. This is so important what he says here. All things are lawful for me, or all things are permissible. I'm able to do them, but not all things are helpful. Again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So here, here's what Paul says. He says, what is lawful, what is permissible, what I can even, it's not just unhelpful, but it can actually dominate or rule over me. It can become my master, okay? Have you ever heard the phrase, just because I can doesn't mean I, what? Should, right? This is what Paul is saying, that just because I can do any number of things doesn't mean that I should, because those things that I can do may not actually help me. In fact, they may actually bring me under servitude to them. They may actually begin to rule over me. So let me give you a, real, a couple real practical examples of this, okay, in real life. Um, Pick your social media of, of choice, okay? Uh, I'm gonna pick Instagram because it is, it is all about pictures, right? It's all about images and visual things. And so I'm gonna speak especially to, to men, and I've had conversations with young men about this. Instagram, which seems pretty harmless, right? It's just a social media tool, platform. You can scroll all day through there, find memes and silly stuff and encouraging, inspiring stuff. But you know what can also happen as you're scrolling through this? You can come across, and I'm, again, I'm talking to men who are typically visual creatures. You can come across images that will begin to tempt you and to create or stir up within you a lust, and that can take you down a road that you never intended to go down. So, can, is there anything that makes you a sinner for doing that? No. But is it helpful for you? Or does it become a ruler over you? where you have to go to that to, to, to find this desire, to meet this, this need that you have. It, it, it can be not just unhelpful, but it can become a ruler over you. Let me give another example, okay? And, and I, I was a youth pastor for years, so this is something we talk about with teenagers and young people all the time. One of the questions that, that uh, teenagers that are dating or in a relationship ask all the time, and I've been there, I know it, you ask this question, how far is too far? in my relationship with this other young man or young woman? How far is too far? Which is in itself the wrong question to ask because that's in essence saying, how close can I get to the edge before I fall off, all right? How close to stepping into sin can I get and stay safe? 
the better question is, how can I actually glorify God in this relationship? But the question typically is, and I get it, how far can I go? Again, different people, different adults will answer this differently. You could say, is it wrong to, to hold hands? No, it's pretty, that's a pretty innocent thing, right? But does that ever stay at holding hands? No, it always progresses because your flesh always wants more. So the progression would be holding hands. I have yet to meet a young man that's like, hey, I'm cool with kissing and staying right there. All right, we're all good. No, your flesh is always going, give me more, all right? And so what happens is kissing moves to touching, moves to hands underneath clothing, moves to clothing off, right? This is the progression of things. And so is it, is it lawful for me to hold hands? Sure. Is it lawful? Is it okay to kiss? Absolutely. Is it helpful? Is, is that going to become my master and my ruler? And so this is what this principle of mastery is all about. It's not about, can I do this? The question is, should I? Is this going to rule over me? Because what Paul says, if you look at this again, verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. What Paul is in essence saying here is that no thing is meant to master you. No thing is meant to master or rule over us. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is only one thing that is meant to be your master, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the master. He is the one that is to rule and reign over us. In fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10, a passage we go to a lot when we talk about putting your faith in Jesus. And Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What, what, what Paul is saying is that if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth, you express faith in him, then you will be saved. But what Paul says here is that even coming to Christ in faith requires not just, not just calling upon him as Savior, did you catch it? But calling upon him as Lord. Jesus is Lord. To even come by faith to Jesus is to give over rulership and mastery over you to the Lord to not just forgive you of your sins, but to be your Lord and Savior. And so this idea of mastery is so important. And, and Paul Tripp, the way he says it is this. Sex is one area where I most powerfully and practically reveal what truly rules my heart. Sex is one area where I most powerfully and practically reveal what truly rules my heart. In other words, show me, what, show me what you're thinking about most of the time. Show me what you're doing with your body, and I'll show you what rules your heart. It's either God or it's your flesh. It's either the creator or the creation. Here, here's a second principle. It's the principle of eternity. Okay, eternity. Verse 14, a small little verse kind of tucked in here that kind of seems out of place when you look at it. Paul says in verse 14, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So we come, we're in the context of, of sexual sin and sexual brokenness and what we're doing with our bodies. And all of a sudden, here comes Paul and he says, Oh, by the way, uh, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us up. And we're like, wait, 
Where did the, you just took this turn, Paul. Where did you go here? But what he's doing, he's talking about the God who raised Jesus from the dead, right? And he says, he, he, says, he will also raise us up. Okay, so he's speaking future tense, right? He's talking about what is going to happen at some point when Jesus returns and, and raises our dead mortal uh, bodies to become immortal, eternal, glorified bodies. And he's, he's referring to this time that is coming, that he will raise us up. He's talking about not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of our bodies. And so what Paul is doing, seemingly out of left field, is what he, he's doing is he's reminding us of eternity. He's reminding us of eternity. Because what happens, how we so often live, okay? In other words, we, we don't think about the future. We live for the moment rather than living for the long term, rather than living for eternity, okay? You know what I'm talking about? We, we make decisions based on what I want and how I feel right now. Like, have you ever, like, eaten one piece of pizza too much? And, like, five minutes later, you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> Like, I was not thinking ahead. Okay, what you did and what I do is we think in the moment. And we're like, oh, man, another piece sounds good. And so we, we don't have any regard for what's going to happen in the future. And we do this sexually all the time. There's a temptation, a lust, and we say, I want this. It's, it looks good. It's going to feel good. And so I'm going to do it. And we, we, we have eternity amnesia. We forget that every single action has a consequence. There, is, there are ramifications for the things that we do with our minds and with our bodies. And we forget that there are eternal ramifications and there are long-term ramifications in our life. And so we, we, we forget about this principle of eternity. And in fact, there's, there's a quote I love by one of my favorite Christian thinkers of our generation, C.S. Lewis. He said it this way, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, but too weak, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased. He says there's infinite joy offered to us, and what happens is we throw it away for the momentary fleeting pleasures of sin because we want what we want. We want what our body wants right now, and we don't think about the long-term consequences. We don't live with eternity in view. And I told you last week the story, I told you briefly, that I once worked with a man, a pastor, who threw his, his family and everything away because of the desire to be in a relationship with a young woman who was outside of his spouse, it wasn't on his spouse. And I, I told you, this has been eight or nine years ago, and I still, my heart breaks for that man because I see the, the consequences of his actions, that his, his relationship with his kids and now his grandkids is estranged because of the decisions he made eight, nine years ago when he was living for the moment. When he said, my marriage isn't quite doing it for me and my wife isn't quite. And years later, it's still, he's a lonely, sad man and it breaks my heart. But why did that happen? 
It's because he made decisions with eternity amnesia. He was forgetting what was really at stake. And here's what I did. Not long after, after I, I witnessed and, and, and watched all this take place. And I would encourage you all to, to, to do this. And however this fits where you're at individually. One of the things I did is I sat down and began to journal. And what I be began to journal was what would happen in my life if I went down the same road that he did. And I began to write down the consequences to my, my wife, how it would affect my wife. I began to think through how would this affect my kids and my future relationship with my kids? How would this affect my ministry and my career and my work life? How would this affect me? And I began to walk down this road. And it was not fun, I'm just telling you. Okay, imagining what life would look like if I went down this road. But I'm telling you, it caused me to think about the long term. It caused me to think about eternity. And what if I make a momentary decision because of how I'm feeling in the moment? What is that, what is that gonna lead to? Where is, where's that path gonna take me? And decisions like in the, the heat of the moment, but man, they have such long lasting ramifications for you and for the people that you love. I would encourage you to, to, to do that exercise at some point. It is excruciating, but some of us need to be forced to think about eternity and not just about the here and now and this moment and the next few hours and the next few days, but next few years and the next few decades. What am I throwing away if I go down this path? And even when you're a young person, you think holding hands, kissing, no big deal, and then it begins to escalate. Have you ever asked yourself, where is this going to lead if I begin to do this? And it leads to bad places. And this is the principle of eternity, having this awareness that, that we're not living just for the moment, but man, we are eternal creatures serving an eternal God. Here's a third principle that I want to bring out in this passage. It's the principle of unity. The principle of unity. And I want to read verses 15 to 18. Okay, he keeps digging his heels in. Okay, it's, it's, it's going to get more real. Here he, here he goes, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her? For as it is written, one spirit with him. He begins to, and some of us, as you read through this, like as I read that, I go, man, Paul, you just took this up another notch. Okay, we're talking about sexual immorality, and all of a sudden you're bringing prostitutes in this. I'm like, whoa, that is like way down the road. What, what, what are you doing? But you've got to understand the context, what was going on in this time. In, in, in Corinth, this, this region where Paul was communicating to the church, where the church was, there was, there was a, a way of living in which prostitution was normal, and it was almost an okay thing. And Paul was addressing that, okay? But he's talking about sexual immorality and what you're doing with your body. And what he, what he does is, is, in essence, and I want to I make this point, is that if you are a child of God, you are united with Christ. This is a big, a big idea that we've got to get down. If you have been, you, you, if you are a child of God, in other words, if you have put your faith in Christ, you have put your faith in him in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You are a child of God. And when you become a child of God by faith, what happens is you are united or married to Christ. 
And what he does is he compares it to, to the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. If you've been here the last couple weeks, we've gone back to Genesis 2, where, where God is defining what a marriage looks like. The, he's defining the biblical bed as one flesh for life. Now, I'm going to give you a little picture of what this is, is meant to look like. This, this husband-wife one flesh union, this coming together of two into one, okay? So let me give you a little illustration here. I'm going to pull out the old Elmer's glue, all right? This is the best adhesive I know of, okay? Um, I know there's better stuff than that, but that's this what we're going with, okay? Uh, we are a church on a budget, so here's what we're doing, okay? So um, here we go. Okay, blue represents boy, okay, I heard it, male, okay? Pink represents female. Guys, you guys are sleeping on me. Wake up. Okay. And so what happens is, is I'm just going to do a little bit of glue here. Okay. I feel like I'm in art class in front of the whole church. This is awesome. And my glue's not coming out. It's not working, y'all. There we go. Okay. So what happens is when God brings a man and a wife together, the intention is this isn't a temporary thing, y'all. is a permanent thing where God unites or glues, okay, one man and one woman together. Okay, it is a one flesh union. It's a coming together, a uniting of two into one, okay? Here's the way this is meant to work, the way God has designed this, one man and one woman together for one lifetime. This is the design that God has created for human sexuality. But what happens, and I know I'm going to touch a nerve here because this affects all of us, okay? What happens is when this union is broken, okay, whether it's through, um, through divorce, which I know many of you have experienced this, whether it's through giving your body away outside of marriage, which I know has happened, okay? Here is what takes place is when you go to remove these two, you know what happens? Okay, it's, it's hard to remove. You begin to see shards and shreds of you, okay, that are left. See, I glued it too good, again. Uh, but it, you see, yeah, sorry, okay. That's uh, true, very good. But what happens is you leave shreds and shards of yourself because these things are not meant to be separated. Remember, God said, let no man separate these things. And so this is what happens when we give ourselves away. Now, if you've experienced divorce, if you have given your body away outside of marriage, does that mean that's the end of your story? Absolutely not. Can God forgive? Can God cleanse? Can... Some of you are witness to that, amen? But this is, this is what God intended to unite together. And this is how Paul compares our relationship with the Lord. He says that when you come to faith in Christ, when you become a child of God, when you become the bride of Christ, you and I are united to him. We become one with the Lord. And so think of this principle, okay, this principle of unity, that when we come to Christ, when we become a child of God, we are united with him. What this means, practically speaking, is that we bring Christ with us into every single thing that we do. When we think 
impure thoughts, we bring Jesus into that. We connect him to that. When we do things with our body that God has not called us to do, we bring Jesus along with us into that because we are united. Listen, we're not just united when we're at church on Sunday. Jesus is with us. And in fact, he says later on that he is in us. And we bring him along with us in everything we do and everything that we think, in every situation and location and relationship that we enter. We bring, this is as if I were to pull open my, my MacBook, my laptop, and I was to pull up the internet and begin to start looking at pornography. And then to drag my pure, innocent, six-year-old daughter alongside me and to force her to watch this and to make her put her eyes on that. Can you imagine how disgusting, doesn't that make you just feel filthy? And yet what we do when we look at things with our eyes and we do things with our bodies that God has never intended for us to do, we drag the Holy One of God into all of our unholiness. We drag the Son of God into all of our ungodliness because you can't separate us when we become one, there's nothing that can separate us. And so we drag the Holy One of God into our mess with us. Why? Because we're failing to live with this principle of unity in mind. That everything I do, everything I think, I may think nobody else sees it and no one else is aware of it. But I'm dragging Jesus, the Son of God, along with me into everything that I do. And y'all, if, if we would begin to live with this principle of unity in mind that I am united to Christ and everywhere I go, change the way that we worship. It would change the way that we think and the things that we do with our bodies. But it's all about this principle of unity. Here's a fourth principle. It's the principle of ownership. It's a principle of ownership. Verse 19 and 20, he keeps going. He says this, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, this principle of ownership, when I think about this, I think of a few years ago, my wife and I bought our first house. And I remember we, we loved this house. We loved the character of it. We loved all the stuff about it. The one thing we didn't love about it was like the paint choice, okay? It was as if, and you may, you may appreciate the color, but to me it was like somebody chugged a gallon of orange juice and vomited on the walls. I mean, that's kind of what it looked like. And we were like, ugh, we gotta change this. Okay, now that we've taken ownership, we're, we're painting all the walls. And I think over the course of two years, we painted pretty much every room and every wall in the house. Um, and, and I'm big on smart devices, so we're installing cameras and all, thermostats and all these smart devices. And, putting our own furniture in, and which looked way better than the last homeowners. And you know what I'm saying? We're just, we own the place, and so we begin to make changes. Because there we come to Christ, there is a change in ownership of our bodies. That you are no longer your own, but you belong to God. In fact, he says your body is not just a building, it's not just like a house, it is a temple. You know what a temple is? A temple is a holy place. A temple is a place of worship. And what Paul says is your body is a temple of God. You are a 
a dwelling place. You are a place of worship for God. He now lives in you and he is with you. And this, this thing of ownership, okay, if you own a home or if you own anything, you know to own something, you have to pay something, right? It costs you something to own something. And what Paul does here is he reminds us, not only does God own you, not only is he to be your master and your ruler, but he has ownership over your body. And listen, in order to acquire you in all of your sin and filth and ungodliness against heaven, it cost him something to purchase you. You know what it cost him? You know what it cost him. It cost him his very own son. That was the price he was willing to pay to redeem you, to buy you back from the slave to me. Now you are mine. Your body is not your own. It belongs to me. And when we function, when we live with, with this principle of ownership in mind, it's this awareness that my body and what I do with my body, it's not my own. It belongs to God. And grace, grace has, has, has redeemed me. Grace has claimed my body for a higher purpose than just personal, physical pleasure. Grace has redeemed me for something much higher and greater. And he paid a price, the life of his son, to obtain me. And so these are those four principles. Let me, let me just kind of walk through those again, just to remind us. This principle of mastery is that your sex life will be shaped by who or what rules your heart. Mastery. The principle of eternity is that your sex life will be shaped by whether you live for the temporary pleasures of sin or whether you live with eternity in mind. The principle of, of unity is that your sex life will be shaped by your awareness of your union with Christ and that you and I take him into whatever we do, wherever we go. And this principle of ownership is that our sex life will be shaped by who you truly believe owns you, your body, owns you and your body. Is it you? Does any of this discourage you? Does it leave you feeling hopeless or like, man, I've, I've, I've blown it in some of these areas? I want to remind you of something. Paul Tripp says it in such a good way. He says, know that what God calls you to, your Savior has already done on your behalf so that in your failure, you can run to God rather than from him. Your standing with God is never, never, ever, ever based on the purity of your heart and your hands, but on the perfect life of Christ lived for your sake. In other words, your standing with God, God's love for you, isn't dependent on how pure your mind and your hands are. It's not. It's on the perfect life that Christ lived for your sake. Sometimes, and a lot of times, we focus on the death and the, the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and we forget that he lived a perfect life on our behalf to become this perfect sacrifice of sin so that he could exchange our sinfulness for his perfect righteousness. And what Jesus did was lived the sinless, perfect life against all odds, against every temptation, and now he is able to give us the forgiving and transforming grace that we need in the midst of this broken world. Amen. And so when you fail, when you have this transforming, forgiving grace that he offers us, 
in Christ. And I want to just take a couple minutes to, 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 to give us two last commands, okay? Two things quickly that Paul mentions here. You all remember last month I talked about four questions. Anybody remember the four questions? I want to put them on the screen in case you forget. The four questions were, who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What do I do? So the first three, I'm going to take you back to English real quick. Um, these are, there's three indicatives and one imperative, okay? So three indicatives, the first three are, are statements of truth. I want to know what is true about God, what he has done, and who I am, my identity. Now, based on those truths, the imperative is what am I supposed to do, okay? And too often, I said this last month, too often what we do in the church and in Christianity is we, we give you a list of imperatives. Do this, don't do that. Here's a list of rules, do's and don'ts, right? But it's all, like we said, when we're trying to get everything back to the gospel, it's all based upon these, these truths. And then out of that, what are we supposed to do? So what I'm going to do for the next couple minutes is those four principles I just gave you are the indicatives. Here's what we know is true. These principles of mastery and eternity and unity and ownership. In light of those, here's two quick commands that God gives us. Okay, if we don't have the foundation of those other four things, these two from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. So here's what I want to say. If, if you and I want to, to avoid as much sexual brokenness as possible and to enjoy what God has created as good and as holy, you better get good at running. Okay? We just talked about English, and that was bad grammar, but that's good theology. Okay? You better get good at running. Okay, does anybody in the room literally just hate the physical act of running? You'd be like, oh man, just shoot me now, all right? Okay, uh, I don't, I'm not a, a distance fan. I'm like a short sprint, okay? Just let me run fast for, you know, 40 yards, and I'm good. That's, that's about it, okay? Um, <clears throat> here's what Paul says. And, and, and what we typically do when it comes to, to sin or to temptation is we don't, we don't sprint. We kind of meander. We kind of hang around. We go, hmm. I think I'm okay, I don't think this is gonna affect me, I think I'm strong enough, I think my, my will is strong enough, uh, I think I can resist this, and then it, what happens is it drags us in and it drags us down. And what Paul says is, don't meander, don't linger, flee. Run away, run as fast as you can. And if you, if you know the Old Testament, you know in Genesis 39, there was a guy who pictured this modeled this so well for us. It was the wife, Potiphar, her wife. Genesis 39, it says this. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house. Okay, this is a warning sign. Okay, this is a setup for sin right here. Okay, verse 12. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Okay, she's been doing this day after day after day, and now she's alone with him. She says, hey, come on, there's an opportunity here. But he left his garment in her hand, and what did he do? He fled and got out the house, <laughs> all right? He ran for the hills. He was like, see you later. You can keep my shirt. I'll buy another one, all right? I am gone, okay? He did not stick around, and so for so many of us, the thing that we need to do, okay, and we talked about last week, the sin is in our heart. This is where it originates. We cannot outrun, outrun the sin within us. But when we flee from temptation, what we do is we acknowledge that the sin that still resides in us is powerful. 
and it will drag me down if I keep myself there. I need to run. I need to run. And God has commanded us, flee, get away. So for some of you, what you need to do today is go, okay, what am I sticking around for? What am I putting myself in a place of harm with? I need to flee God in your body. Glorify God in your body. In other words, what you and I do with our body matters. It matters. In fact, this is what, at the end of the day, this is what God created us for, is to glorify him. It's to glorify him with everything that's within us. And Paul says, listen, in light of all this truth, in light of who you are, in light of your union with Christ, in light of the price that he has paid to buy you from your sin, to redeem you, and glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body, how you think and what you do with the members of your body. This is the reason that we were made, is to glorify God. And so the question that you and I can be asking all the time is this. When it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to our actions, is does this glorify God? Does this glorify God? Are the things that I'm thinking, is the stuff that I'm looking at, are the thoughts I'm entertaining, are the actions, the road I'm going down, does this glorify God? And if we would be honest with ourselves, there's so many times when the answer would be no. And so what do we do in those cases? We run back so overflowing with grace and forgiveness, empowering grace and forgiving and transforming grace. So glorify God in your bodies. This is what it all comes down to, y'all, is not just living in the moment, not letting our desires rule over us, not forgetting that our body is not our own. Man, understanding that we belong to Christ, that we, our body was made for him, not for anything else but to glorify him. Amen. And God, this morning, I'm so grateful that when we were in sin, when we were without hope and without God in the world, when there was nothing in us worth redeeming, God, you came and you bought us back. Father, you paid a price, the price of your son to redeem us from the slave market of sin so that we wouldn't have to live in bondage anymore to our, our momentary fleeting desires. God, that we wouldn't have to live day by day in our brokenness, but that your grace could. And Lord, again, in this room, I know that there are folks that are wrestling in one way or another or that have put their foot on a path that's leading to something that doesn't honor you. It's leading to a place that may be lawful, but it's not helpful. It will lead to a, a, a life of, of being dominated or ruled by something other than you. And God, I pray for that person who is in the midst of that, who is entertaining thoughts about straying or going from you. God, would you draw them to you this morning? God, I pray as a church that we would, we would be a people who don't just come here to worship you with our voices and with our ears, but God, Monday through Saturday, we worship you with our thoughts, 
and with our bodies, knowing that you have bought us, that we belong to you. And so God, we submit all of us to you this morning where there needs to be confession and repentance this morning. God, I pray that we would confess and repent. God, for some of us, we just need to express our gratitude for all that you have done in making us your own and for redeeming us from our brokenness. God, for some of us, we need to just thank you that there is victory ahead, that you want to transform and redeem and empower us to live and the freedom that you have called us to. God, I pray that whatever the response is this morning, that you would help us to worship you. And Would you stand with us as we continue to worship?